collective, and one of the churches in our collective is actually stationed in Kiev. And we uh, actually played a video or an audio message from him last week. But here's an update from him that came in yesterday morning. Uh, so please continue to pray for them. This is what he says. The most difficult choices Ukrainians are making now, whether to leave some family members for the sake of saving others, wives take children and flee abroad, leaving their husbands, adult sons evacuate their families from their dangerous regions and cry, leaving their mothers behind because they refuse to go. One of our sisters, Oksana, decided to stay in Kiev with her husband, Victor, while her son took his wife and Oksana's grandchildren to the safer western Ukraine. Oksana and Victor are the most senior members of Vertical Church Kiev. They try to live the normal life, putting their hope in God. Normal, quote-unquote, because fighting is taking place not that far away from their district, and they can hear it very well. They sleep in the cold bomb shelter among ev almost every night and try to buy some food during the day. They say we shall continue to live even if they shoot. May God strengthen each of us to live by faith in God even amid the war. Now we know for sure that we fall asleep and wake up only by God's grace. And even though we walk through the darkest valley, we shall fear no evil for Jesus is with us. Glory to the Lord. Would you pray with me as we lift up the Ukrainian church? Father, we thank you uh, for your grace and your mercies. We thank you that no matter what, you are sovereign. No matter what, that even though uh, they are walking through the darkest valley they could I can imagine, Father, you are with them. Your rod and your staff, they comfort them. And I pray, especially for our brothers and sisters, not just in this church, but all throughout that area, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Russia trying to fight against their government who's doing this evil thing. Lord, we just pray that you would give grace and mercy and strength to the church. Lord, that they would be a light in the darkness here, that even in the midst of the bombing and the shooting, Lord, that, that they would place their hope firmly in you. God, we're desperate for you to show up here. We pray that you would humble the proud in this. Lord, that your glory would be shown clearly. And so, Father, we pray that you would bring an end to this very soon. And, Lord, ultimately we pray that many would come to know you as their Savior through what's going on. Lord, we know that as followers of Jesus Christ that you work everything for the good of those who love you. And so, God, our trust and our hope is in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me invite you now to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. We are making our way through the book. And this is kind of the halfway point as far as Acts goes. And uh, today we are going to be talking about the topic of tribulation, one that we probably would rather not speak of. But when it comes to salvation... There are a lot of things that people expect to happen when they come to Christ. Many come in order to live their best life now. You ever heard that from certain books that are written? Live your best life now every day of Friday. <laughs> come and God will take away all your pain. Do you want a happier life except Jesus as your Savior? Now there are parts of these things that are true, are they not? I mean, I'm living my best life now because of Jesus Christ. There are true things that God does come and take away our troubles, but there's a way that we need to understand that. It's not that God will come 
and take away any hard things from our lives. You see, some people come and they have this expectation that when they come to Jesus, what that means is that God's going to take away all their circumstances that are negative. (laughs) That all of a sudden God is going to clear up all the garbage that's in our lives. God's going to make things easy for us. But we see all throughout scripture that is nowhere to be seen. And if we believe that, it creates a very dangerous thing for us. And I've seen many people who come to Jesus because, yeah, I'll take Jesus. Like, is he going to give me a BMW and give me a bigger house, give me a better job? Then I'll take Jesus. And we can have this prosperity gospel that we deliver. And I've seen these, these people who do this over and over again. When life gets hard, they question where is God, and then they are out. They leave because they, they weren't accepting Jesus as Savior. They were accepting Jesus' gifts as Savior. And when the gifts didn't come, then their Savior was dead to them. But if you find yourself in that camp, if you think that somehow coming to Jesus means all of a sudden life is easier and there's no hard things that are going to come your way, well, this morning I'm here to burst your bubble. Because the truth is that it is, it is the way through tribulation that leads to God's kingdom. It is the way through suffering that brings us to Christ. So we have a lot of text to jump through this morning, and we're going to take it chunk by chunk. And so before we do that, though, I want to pray specifically that God would open our hearts to what God has for us in his word today. So pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, this is a super challenging subject to think about, to talk about, because there are a lot of heavy suffering that is happening even amongst us here. Things that can tempt us to question whether or not you're good, whether or not you are here. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us this morning that it is through suffering that we experience the ways of of God. It's the way to the kingdom. It's through suffering. You promised it. And so God, would you help us to understand that? Would you help us to even embrace and remember the fact that we are living in an alien territory? This world, currently as it is, is not our home. We are aliens just passing through. And so, Lord, remind us that if the world hated you, it will hate us. And if the, if the world persecuted you, then in some form or fashion, Lord, we will be persecuted. So, Lord, keep us from losing heart in those moments. That instead we would stand firm and steadfast. And seek to advance the gospel no matter the cost to us in that. So God, we need your help in that, Lord. Because if we're honest, we are tempted to selfishness. We're tempted to self-centeredness. We're tempted to be driven by comfort and security. But Lord, those things can't be found externally. They can only be found internally through you. So God, grant us your grace this morning to understand your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, if you were with us, we discussed the difference between God's people and God's enemies. And some of the defining factors of God's people is that God's people hunger for God's word. There's a desire in God's people given by the Holy Spirit that we want to be in God's word. We want to hear from him. Not only that, God's people are known for their joy. Because we understand that apart from Jesus Christ, we are utterly lost. Apart from Jesus, we have no hope. 
But when it comes to God's enemies, there's a, there's a big difference. God's enemies, they don't hunger for God's word. Rather, they hunger for man's approval. And they will do anything they can to receive man's approval. And they aren't known for their joy. Rather, they're known for what they hate. I mean, if you look in the world, isn't it true? Like, it is hard to find facts anymore. It's, you watch the news, and it doesn't matter what station you watch. You're watching more of what they're against than what they're for. But God's people, we're called to live differently. And because of the call to live differently, that means that there are hard things that are going to come our way. In our text this morning, we are going to see the continued advancement of the gospel. We are going to break the text up this morning because there's a lot to cover. And what I want to discuss this morning are three ways we experience tribulations as followers of Christ. And the first tribulation is this. Tribulations through rejection. As believers in Christ, we will face tribulations through rejection. Look at Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and in the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So here they are now in Iconium where once again what are they doing? They're sharing the gospel. They're in the Jewish synagogue proclaiming the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see, once again, it is bearing much fruit. But as we have seen all throughout Acts, whenever good things are happening, there's usually something dark that follows. And here we see the unbelieving Jews that are stirring up the Gentiles and they are poisoning their minds. And this is why it's so important for us as believers in Christ that we present every thought captive. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And why we have to be careful of whatever kind of material that we are taking in. Because our minds can be poisoned if we are not watching it. And so they're stirring up these Gentiles. They're poisoning their minds. And instead of... This leading the disciples to be discouraged and want to leave, rather, they decide to stick around because they're seeing the battle that's at at stake here. They're seeing the war that is taking place between the minds of the Gentiles and what the Jewish unbelievers are trying to do. They keep at it. And we see that the Lord was with them and he shows up. Through signs and wonders. I love what what it says here. I mean, just look at the text here again. So they remained for a long time, verse 3, speaking boldly for the Lord. The Lord who bore witness 
to the word of his grace. So it's the Lord here, here who is bearing witness. He's, he's, he's proving his word true. How? Through granting signs and wonders to be done by the apostles' hands. So we're, we're just seeing very clearly here, Luke wants us to understand these miracles that are going to be performed, that have been performed, are not from the hands of the apostles. They were given by the Lord in order to prove his word to be true. These were the works of the Lord. And so they're fighting for the faith of these Gentiles. And even after all of this, there is still division amongst the people. And they, the disciples, the apostles, hear of plans of stoning. And so they fled. And yet they didn't stop preaching the gospel. They continued to preach the gospel in another city. So here's one thing for sure will happen as we fully give our lives to Christ. We will face tribulation through the rejection of others. Ultimately, many people in the city rejected the message that the people gave. And they threatened to stone them for it. And that can be a hard pill to swallow. We have all come to see that the Lord is good, right? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if God is clinging to you, you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And as you share with those around you the burden of your soul for the burdens that the other people around you are carrying, and they refuse to surrender, there's a heaviness. And we want so desperately for them to hear the good news. And when we share it, and they tell us, nah. I don't believe that stuff. It's a heavy pill to swallow. It's a hard thing for us as believers to take in. But we must understand that we will face rejection. And sometimes we will have to watch people throw their lives away. When if they would just lay it down, they would actually find what their hearts are longing for. So what sorts of rejection do we as believers face? Here's a few things to think about. This might be the easiest way. Uh, sometimes they just reject Jesus. They don't reject you, but they reject Christ. And so there becomes this like hard thing where if you are consumed by Jesus, like he is everything to you. Uh, how many of you find it hard sometimes to keep conversations going with unbelievers because the very most important thing you have in your life is Jesus, and yet there's no room to talk about it. So that's a form of tribulation. That's a minor one, but yet still a burden that we carry when those around us refuse to bow the knee to Christ. Sometimes there are people who not only reject Christ, but they actually reject you because of it. There was a friendship that you have. Perhaps it was somebody that you were praying for for a long time and then you felt like this was the right time to share the gospel. And actually in that, it created a wedge between you and them. We have people I know in our church who, because of Jesus Christ, have driven a wedge between them and their families. But remember what Jesus said. He who doesn't hate mother, or father, brother, or sister for my sake is not worthy of the kingdom. Which doesn't mean that we hate, right? We understand that those verses, doesn't, it doesn't mean we hate those people. Rather, it's a matter of choice. If we choose our family, if we choose our friends over Christ, we are not worthy of the kingdom. And many of you have taken that choice to decide on following Jesus, even if this creates, creates a wedge between me and my family. 
That's a painful thing, is it not? Something that we must count the cost for. If we are choosing to follow Jesus, it will create a wedge between us and others from time to time. Our neighbor at a previous house that we lived at, when they found out I was a pastor, you could, you could, it, was all, it was almost physical where they just kind of took their step back and kept their distance. And we were never really able to make a way into their life because, oh, you're, you're a pastor? I'm out. That happens from time to time. And we must be aware of that as believers and not be surprised. A third way that we face rejection can sometimes even come from believers. Have you ever find yourself, found yourself growing in your faith? Maybe God is exposing sin in your life, forms of entertainment that you used to take part in even as a believer. But as, as you've gotten older, you're like, man, I just can't take part of that anymore. I remember as a youth growing up and God was stirring in my heart and drawing me near to himself. And suddenly there were things that I just couldn't participate in anymore. Certain shows that were popular amongst our time that everybody was talking about. And all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? Sorry, guys, I can't participate. Not in a holy, I'm holier than you, but just in, in, a, in a spect where I just feel sinful watching it. These, this is not something I should be watching. And that created tension between me and some other friends who claimed Jesus. I, I don't know if they were true followers of Jesus, but all of a sudden I got judged as being a goody-two-shoe when I'm just trying to follow the ways of the Lord. I'm not trying to be, call myself better than anybody else, but it's like sometimes that happens Amongst us as believers where we have to make choices and we decide to start talk, stop talking about certain things, stop participating in certain forms of entertainment because we want to honor the Lord with everything that we have. Sometimes rejection by believers is more painful than anything else. But Christian, know this. If you decide to get serious about Jesus Christ... If you start taking opportunities to share the gospel with those around you, when God reveals things in your life that you need to get rid of and things that you used to do with friends but are no longer things that you participate in, be ready for rejection. Are you ready if it comes to the point where it brings loneliness because you're choosing to follow Christ? I would just remind you that you have a Savior who knows everything about that. You have a Savior who was on trial for something he did not do. His very best friends rejected him. Peter denied him three times. All of the apostles fled. Nobody was there to intercede on his behalf. And so he felt the loneliness that you feel. Because of your following after him. And even on the cross as he hung, his father turned his back on him. Which led Jesus to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Brothers and sisters, don't fear the rejection of the world. Find hope and encouragement knowing that the one whom we most need to accept us gave his life for you. As followers of Jesus, we will face tribulations through rejection. Look at verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. 
he listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices Saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and they rushed out into the crowd crying out, men. Why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. At first glance, you might wonder, Ben, where's the tribulations here? I don't really know where you're going I mean, they, they met this man who was crippled from birth. Somehow he could see that the man had faith to be man. Well, don't you wonder, like, what did he see? Like, was he engaged? Was he leaning in? Was he, like, pointing to his legs? Like, what, what, was, what was it that made Paul think he was ready, believing that he could be healed? Have you ever met someone so engaged with the gospel? I see it in some of you when preaching, and I see you're nodding your head, leaning in, taking notes. Like this man was engaged. God was moving in his spirit. God was drawing him to himself. Paul saw faith in this man. And so God granted the miracle to the disciples in order to bear witness to the message they were proclaiming, and so this man was healed. So where's the tribulation at? Well, notice what the people do again in verse 11. They started calling them gods. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul, Hermes. The chief priest of Zeus brought these these animals out in order to sacrifice for, on behalf of, Paul and Barnabas, they were worshiping them. They were admiring them. They saw them as gods. And time after time, we have seen this. In, the, in Acts, we've seen this over and over again. And continually, what do we see the apostles do? Over and over and over again, they're reflecting glory Back to the one who is worthy of it. They're not taking any credit from themselves. They don't go to their Instagram and post what they have done. They don't go to Twitter and Facebook and share the great message that they proclaimed and the fact that this man was healed. Look at what we did. Instead, they mourn. I mean, the ripping of their clothes is a sign of mourning. Like, how could you do this? 
Why are you lifting us up? This is a fatal fall. And so they point them back to God. God is the one who has brought you water, who has made it so that you can have food. He's the one that's brought you joy by satisfying your need for food. He is the one that you are to worship. And so a second way that we can face tribulation as believers is, is this. Tribulations through man's praise. I know, I know. <laughs> a month back, we talked about pride, and we saw in the life of Herod that God opposes the proud. If you remember, Herod was going after the disciples. He was persecuting them. And then he comes to the praise of the people who are looking at him as a God, and he took it all in and didn't confront the people and give God the glory he deserved, and God struck him down for that. Pride is a dangerous thing. The bigger danger is that in it, we try to take away glory from the only one who deserves it. That's what pride is. Pride is saying that I deserve glory. I deserve credit. I deserve recognition. And what happens when God uses us and there's fruit that comes about, we can start to take the credit and start to feel pretty good about ourselves. Have you heard any pastors lately who have these failures from these big churches? Because they fail to give God the glory that only he deserves. So I want you to keep your, your finger here and I want you to turn to the book of Matthew. And I want to see... And talk about good works. And talk about what is the right perspective that we are supposed to have. So look at Matthew 5 with me. Matthew chapter 5. This is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus speaking. And he gives them the way we should live. He, he speaks of the life of the Christian. Matthew 5 verse 14. It says, you are the light of the world. He's talking to believers. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So what is in the city? Lots of lights. So a city on a hill, you can't hide it. It's impossible. All these lights are showing. We are the lights to the world. We cannot be hidden. Verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. <laughs> hide it under a bushel. No. They put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that, what? They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you know that we actually are called to live our lives in a way that we are noticed? There are other places in scripture where it says, should we let our left hand know what our right hand is doing? This is a little bit different. This is about good works. This is about proclaiming the glory of God. This isn't about fasting. It's not about tithing. It's, this is about like good works. We want people to be able to look at us, not for our sake, but in order that we might be able to give the glory back to God. There's only one reason why we should do this. Only one reason why we want people to see us. So that our Father in heaven will be glorified. But we're a twisted people, aren't we? We all are. We all face the tribulation of receiving man's praise and 
allowing it to puff ourselves up. And when man starts to praise us for good works, we are tempted to take the glory or we will look to reflect it back to the Father. With your hands still in Acts, now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. This is just going to give us more reason why we have no reason to boast. This is so great that we have God's word to be able to look up and understand why we should do good works. And then understand where the basis of our good works comes from. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So when it comes to our salvation, who's responsible for that? God, completely. Do we have anything to do? Do we contribute any positive things to our salvation? Is there anything that we can do that God looks down and says, man, that guy's a stud. I want him on my team. Man, she's amazing. If I can save her, I, she can do great things for me. Is that how God views us? For by grace are you saved through faith. They're gifts from God. Our faith and grace, these are gifts from God that rescues us. Nothing. It's not a result of works. Why? So that we would have no reason to boast. If we were good people and God rescues us, well, we could say, well, it's, I mean, look. I mean, look what God's getting. I mean, it's a pretty easy decision for God to choose me. But what the text says is that it's not by works. Nothing impressive in you. God didn't see potential and so he saves you because of the potential he saw in you. Don't listen to a lot of the Christian music that won't tell you that. That will trip you up. Does God redeem our strengths? Yes, amen, he does. But we're not saved by good works. Notice how it continues though. We're saved by grace. Do we start to do things on our own then? Now do we start to puff our chest out and show God what we have? Notice in verse 10, we are his workmanship. Whose workmanship are we? His. We are clay. We're not the potter. Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that what? That we should walk in them. So we see in Matthew, we're a city on a hill. We're a light that we should let shine so that others would see our good works and give glory to the God and Father. Where do our good works come from? According to Ephesians 2. The good works that we do, that we walk in, are from the Lord anyway. And so when we are walking in the ways that God has called us to live for, it's by his grace. And so therefore, when people see our good works, the only boast that we have is say, man, this is all Jesus. Why am I patient with my coworkers who are driving me crazy and the boss who disrespects me? It's because of Jesus Christ. I don't know. He's changed my heart. I used to be angry at all those things, and God is softening me. And so, we must understand that when men start to praise us for our good deeds, this is an opportunity for us to acknowledge the fact that these good works were laid out for us by our Father so that we can walk in them in order that people may see them so that we can give the glory back to God. Paul looked for no credit here. He didn't heal the man. He was God's instrument. 
We are, that's what we are. We are instruments in the Redeemer's hands. We are people in need of change. We're just here to help other people in need of change. We're not people who have arrived to help people catch up with us. We're people who come, check out the Savior who could transform your life. So be careful that you don't look to steal the credit that only belongs to the Father. So here's the question. Are you doing good works, first of all? Are there good things that people can see in you? I think that's the first question that we ask ourselves. Is there anything good in us? Again, from God working through us. And if so, are we using those for opportunities to reflect glory back to the Father who's the only one worthy of our good works? This is a tribulation for us as believers. He has made us into a new creation in order to do good works to bring him glory. And he will bring it to completion, not us. Our participation with his spirit, yes, but ultimately he's the one that receives all the glory. So as believers, we experience tribulation through rejection. We experience tribulation through man's Praise, and lastly, we experience tribulations through persecution. Look at verse 19. But Jesus came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. If you're one who likes to underline, I encourage you to underline that phrase there. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So you remember that mob back in Iconium in the beginning of the chapter who was coming after them and they heard of the threats of them wanting to stone Paul and that's the reason why they fled? Well, they've caught up with Paul here, we see. And they stone him and they drag him out of the city and he's left for dead. So, I mean, he was limp, unresponsive. So here's the thing, though. We don't really know his condition here. Did he actually die? Was he just, you know, you've seen somebody get knocked out and after a couple minutes they're good? Like, did that happen? I mean, these are, these are people who know what they're doing when they stoned him. This is not their first rodeo. This would not have been the first time they're like, well, what should we do? Well, how about we just pick up these stones and toss them? No, no this was, a, this was a, like a formal way of discipline. This is something that they were used to. And so they've seen people respond to stonings before. They think he's dead. I don't know if he's dead, but here's the, here's the reality. If this guy was just stoned by all these people, there's absolutely no way that all of a sudden the disciples gather around him and he stands up and walks into the city. Don't you find that amazing? God's like, fine, go ahead. See what I can do. Once again, I'm going to prove my word true by raising Paul up after he just was stoned. 
And what does Paul do? Does he decide, you know what, I've lived my life, I've done good, I think I'm going to retire. I'm going to go to Florida and collect seashells on the seashore because, you know what, I've lived a good life, I've done what I need to do. (laughs) Nope, they pick up and they move on and they continue to spread the gospel into other cities. Here's something that Paul wasn't surprised by. Tribulations. He understood what his calling would involve. And he knew persecution was part of it because he was actually on the other side, if you remember, at the stoning of Stephen. He was a part of the persecution of believers. Otherwise, how could he have gotten back up on his feet and then gone back to what he was doing that earned the stoning in the first place? And there was no whining with Paul. No complaining that somebody said a bad word about him. No complaining because a little bit of his freedoms were taken away. No complaining that these people weren't held accountable by the government. Paul was a man who loved God and trusted that his plan was best. Paul was a man that believed that God works everything for the good of those who love him. He, didn't, he wasn't bitter at God for allowing it to happen. He wasn't angry. He wasn't questioning him. He just gets back on his feet and goes about the business of proclaiming the gospel. It's because he also loved the people. If you have read through the epistles, you know that at one point he said, hey, we wish he could just change places. If only I could be in their shoes. Man, that is so foreign to Americans today. How often do we want to put ourselves in the place of the, acute, of the guilty, of the, the ones who are causing all the trouble? How often do we find ourselves broken, wanting to be in their place and them to be in our place that have tasted and seen that the Lord is good? So often, we just don't love people. I have to be honest with you. I, I wonder how many of us are willing to count the cost to truly follow Christ? How many of us are willing to be rejected in order to pursue him, in order to share the gospel that others might hear of Jesus? How many of us fight against man's praise, mourn over the fact that that may happen in order to use those moments to give God the glory that only he deserves anyway? How many of us are willing to even risk our very lives because Christ is so worth it? I love living in America. I'm grateful for the freedoms that we have. We should not take our freedoms for granted. But it is a potential stumbling block in the sense that can it lead us to get pretty comfortable where we're at? Can it lead us to want to pursue the American dream, work our tails off, provide a nice house for our family, have all the nice cars, make sure that we save up enough money so that we can retire with ease? I'm fearful for the American church, if I'm honest. Sometimes I find myself fearful for my own heart because I struggle with the same things. This desire for comfort. And ease, and then you really read what the apostles went through. 
This wasn't the first time that Paul, or the only time that Paul suffered because of his faith. He was shipwrecked, bitten by a poisonous snake that should have killed him, just shook it off in the fire. Whipped, 39 lashes, two different times. And yet, all the praise to glory. He counted them as minor things. Little afflictions. They're not worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. Brothers and sisters, the reason why Paul was able to endure is because he had an eternal perspective. This world is not our home. Do you realize that when we die and go to glory, it's not going to be in America? I think that's the one thing I'm just trying to wrestle through. Of, man, do I care more about the success of the USA than I do about the advancement of the gospel? I'm asking myself that. Or do I care more about brothers and sisters around me, potential brothers and sisters, who don't know yet, yet know Jesus, am I more concerned about them than I am about what my bank account looks like, what our government looks like? Are you okay? If the, what, what if God brings great revival but destroys America? How are you going to feel about that? We were not called to live a life of ease and comfort. Nowhere in Scripture do we see that, but yet... If I'm honest, I often find myself fighting for that. When my kids are disobeying, I just want an easy life. Why are you making me be a dad right now? When the wife is struggling with something, why are you making me be a husband? I can be so lazy. So my prayer for us is that as we encounter the text here, that we see the faith that Paul and Barnabas and the apostles had where their lives were literally in danger, that that would spur us on. We are called to be salt and light. Are you being light in the world? It brings us to a question where we should seriously ask ourselves, am I suffering for the sake of Christ? Not that we should just, okay, I'm going to go over to to Ukraine in the middle of the fighting and stand out there and that's my call to suffer. I'm not talking about those things. But are you hiding who you are? Are you afraid to go talk to your neighbor about Christ because you don't want them to be offended? Jesus promised us, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. As followers of Jesus, you will face tribulations through rejection. People are going to turn from you. You will face tribulation through persecution. You will be tempted when man praises you for your good works to receive all those things. But just remember we're here for one reason. One reason alone. To glorify God and make disciples. We're here to advance the gospel. Nothing else matters. Your retirement account doesn't matter in the spectrum of eternity. How much do the richest people leave behind when they die? All of it. So may we be a church that is willing to suffer for the sake of advancing the gospel. Let's pray.
Lord, we acknowledge that none of us here has it all together. I, I can't imagine there's a single person in this room who can, can think to themselves this morning that, man, I'm doing great. Perfect. I've got a spotless record. I don't have any fear. I'm not afraid to share the gospel. I don't, I don't hate people. I'm always loving. God, I pray that you would stir us up, Lord, not, not to condemnation, Lord. We praise you. For those in Christ, there is no condemnation. We praise you for that. But God, I pray that you would bring about change in our lives that needs to happen. Lord, if we're struggling with just this pursuit continually of comfort and ease, God, that you would remind us that we're not called to live here and be comfortable and and have an easy life. That's coming. That's glory when our sin is done with. But for now, for our last days, however many days that is, however many years, however many decades, God, may we use our breath, our every breath in order to glorify your name, no matter the cost. Lord, those who are working in secular jobs, that we would do it for your glory, that we would work hard, that we would have a good attitude, even if those around us are complaining about everything, even if there feels like there's reasons to complain, God, let us to speak up in truth, in love, in a way that's different so that not that we can be lifted up, but that we can point people to our Father in heaven who has transformed us. Lord, that we would live our lives drastically different than the world, not for ourselves, but because we want Jesus to be glorified. God, take us outside of ourselves. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to stand as we sing in response.